You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It's the 8 o'clock hour, our outdoor living hour for Saturday of the month. So we have urban farmer Greg Peterson in the studio with us. Hey, hey, how we doing today? Very good. And if you follow along in our 2020 home maintenance calendar, you know, every now and then things don't line up. These these go to print six months in advance there you go. of January. And uh, sometimes we've got topics planned, guests planned, and you get to it and other things have happened. So we're it's a little bit different than what uh, what's in, in your calendar. calendar. Yep. But it's still, hey, it's going to be a great broadcast, Urban Orcharding. Uh, and I'm glad you're in because I've uh, I, if it, I may not do it on air, but during the breaks, I've got a list of my own personal orchard questions that <laughs> right. I, I'm going to hit you up on. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Let's get started. Urban right. orcharding is that where you, we build into an old orchard that was there for years and years? No, and- it's more really about we have small yards. We got to keep our trees small. That's the bottom line. A peach tree can easily get 30, 35 feet tall. And in our urban areas, in our backyards and front yards, when we don't have the equipment to pick a peach off of a 35-foot-tall tree, it becomes bird food. That's a lot of water to feed the birds. Uh, There you go. And so we've developed these strategies to keep the tree small. Uh, Well, that is actually the strategy. Keep your tree small. (laughs) Uh, A perfectly pruned peach in my front yard is all of about nine feet tall. And it looks, when it's all bloomed out and butted out and leafed up, it looks like more like a bush. So, um, yeah, that's the bottom line, is just keep the trees small so that we can pick them uh, from standing on the ground. We can manage the tree easily. And the other really cool thing is, remember I said a tree could be 35 feet tall with uh, the canopy on it could easily be 20, 25 feet. In that same canopy area of a large peach tree or apple tree or fig tree, um, I can put six or eight smaller trees in that same space. And so I'm using the space more effectively to grow different varieties. And the different variety question always leads to, well, if I plant a desert gold peach, it ripens halfway through May. If I plant a mid-pride peach, that that ripens toward the end of June. So what we call that is successive ripening. It's a process by which we plant different varieties so they ripen at different times so that we don't get all of our fruit all at once. And that's extremely important on your peach because when they're ripe, you've got a very short harvest window. About two weeks. I think that we're so, so spoiled. So many of us have a citrus somewhere on the property or in the neighborhood. Right. And you know, it could be two months you could be picking off mm-hmm. that tree and eating and grazing as you pass. Exactly. The, the rind keeps the birds from pecking at it. And you, you get a ripe peach. You know when it's ripe because all the birds are sitting out there, there enjoying go. it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. So um, we have about 10 days to two weeks. So if we're planting, and my three favorite are the desert gold, the tropic snow, and the mid-pride peach, desert gold ripens about mid-May. And Tropic Snow about the beginning of June and uh, Mid-Pride about the end of June into the first week of July. So basically what I've just done is I've created six, four to six weeks of peaches rather than two weeks of peaches. So that's what we call successive ripening. 
how did the flavor differentiate between it was desert gold, tropic, tropic snow. snow. I like that tropic snow. Tropic snow is a white flesh peach, exactly, and a mid pride. Um, they're all really sweet, and they have a you know a little bit different flavor profile. There's actually about ten peach trees that will do really well here, and we're going to cover here in a little while the caveats for growing fruit trees here in the desert. Um, because one of the big things that you want to do is you want to plant a soft flesh fruit. So that's peaches, apricots, plums, apples, grapes, berries, those kinds of things. So that they're ripe and off of the tree by about July 10th. Otherwise, they just cook on the tree. So that's a, that's a really important piece to look at when you're planting one of these trees in your yard. Because there are varieties of peaches that would say bloom in August, and that yep. might be better for... Not here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Someplace else <laughs> Someplace other than else. here. Yeah. What I've found, and I've tried uh, many different kinds of peaches here uh, over the years. I've been growing fruit trees since 1974. Was that 45 years ago? My gosh. And uh, I've tried the later ripening ones, and what happens is the fruit just cooks on the tree. It's just, it's futile. And then you don't get nearly the production uh, if they do ripen, you might only get three or four pounds. My desert gold peach in my front yard gives me 50 pounds every year. That's a lot of peaches, enough for a family, that's for sure. And nothing can take the wind out of your sails. It would be more disappointing than you know, having a, a tree that doesn't harvest that you planted with the anticipation you're going to harvest. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, then that's – I talk a lot about experimenting with trees. Um there's a, and I sometimes I hesitate to say this, but you can go into most nurseries and every big box store in this town, and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit. And so what I've done with my urban farm fruit tree program is I only bring in what works. And if you do what I tell you to do, which we're going to talk about here in the, in the next 45 minutes or so, if you do what I tell you to do, your tree's going to thrive and you're going to get fruit in three years. And that's a, another point I wanted to make three years. You know, if you plant something that's not going to produce and you don't find out until it's time it should be, you've wasted three to three five years. to that's six right. to seven years. Right. Well, and you've wasted the hope. It's like, oh, my gosh, I planted a peach tree and you never get any peaches. You've wasted the water, the fertilizer, you know, and on and on and the cost of the tree. So you really want to make sure that you know what you're doing when you put that tree in the ground. And that's honestly, that's what I'm here for. Uh, I run the Urban Farm Fruit Tree Program. Been doing it for 20 years. This is my 20th year doing it. And I give all kinds of free classes on picking the right tree and making sure that you grow it correctly. Mm -hmm. So the perfectly pruned peach, let's talk about that for a moment. Okay. It's a process that starts from the moment that you plant the tree. So you can buy fruit trees from me. In fact, we'll be open over the course of the next month. You can come down to our nursery near 7th Street and and uh, Camelback, and you can see trees there. You can get your supplements. One of the things I tell people is that if you're going to spend $58 on a tree, you're probably going to spend $50 on supplements and soils to make sure that that three, tree thrives. That's really, really important. So once you get that tree and take it home, oh, by the way, the trees that you'll pick up from me are bare root. 
that means there's no dirt around the roots. You're picking you're picking up a tree with no dirt around the roots. It's not potted. It's dormant. You're taking it home and planting it while it's dormant, and it breaks dormancy where it's going to spend the rest of its life at. I had a customer in the past couple of weeks. Uh, they showed up. They picked up their trees, and then they sent me an email and said they were really quite upset that it was a bare root tree, and they called it lack of quality and so on and so on. And I I just, you know, I reached out to them. I'm about making things right. And I reached out to them and explained to them the value of it. And the biggest value of that is that the tree was harvested while it was dormant. It was shipped to Arizona. You picked it up while it was dormant, and then you planted it while it was still dormant where it's going to live the rest of its life. And it trees are just thriving if you do that. So you pick up your bare root trees, you take them home. They're going to be. It does a... look funny when you plant your first bare root. You're like, it I does. just stuck a twig in the ground. Mm-hmm. I've got a nice twig. This is great. Well, <laughs> and let me be clear here. It's not a twig twig. It's more like a it looks baseball like bat twig. So you know, it's uh, an inch, three quarters of an inch to an inch and a quarter diameter at the base, and about three feet tall. But you're right, it does look. I planted a branch. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then what we do for the first couple of years is we nurture it so that the lower branches branch out. And anything, any branch that shoots up higher than about six or seven feet, we always want to prune that off. So it's a process of managing the branches on the tree so that they stay six to eight feet tall. And so that it turns into a bush rather than a tree. Now, we can grow out trees, fruit, you know, these fruit trees as trees, which is fine. I just want people to be aware that, you know, if you plant a peach tree, again, it can be 30 feet tall. That's bird food up there. Is that really what you want to do? There's other trees you could plant for the shade if you wanted to exactly. shade. And your fruit trees, you know, it, it's all placement. Yeah. Yeah. You, and that's, you know, they're mesquite. You know, I'm a really big fan of native mesquite trees, although they're really hard to find. And I'm working on that. I've got a supplier down in Tucson that's growing them out for me. Um, but I'm a really big fan of native mesquites because of the mesquite beans, which are edible. And, you know, we'll be talking about that in May or June of this year. When it's harvest time. When it's harvest time. Exactly. So that's how we keep the trees small is we start off early. We prune them hard the first couple of years. So that it, it, it almost stunts them a little bit. And then you let them grow out as a bush or a small tree. Now, how do you manage branches? Because the citrus will only produce on old wood mm-hmm. and stone fruits produce on new. So if you're new-ish. Const- new-ish, okay. That, that's something I've been thinking about as I'm trying to manage our orchard mm-hmm. is, okay, if it's only going to produce on new growth i want to be careful how you know how much i trim yes and and where is that new growth growing because you know we're we're trying to manage size and right so especially mountain yeah especially with peach trees you'll get these you know six or eight foot long branches but along those branches are these little stubby branches Mm -hmm. you know so if you have a six foot long uh, branch on the tree you could easily set three pounds of peaches out on the end, which would break that branch. But also along the way, there's these two to four inch, inch stubs. That's where you're going to get peaches That's at the as new well. growth. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. That does make a, a 
uh, sense because those peaches do have really long, yes, long they do. branches. And if you don't if you don't prune them back, your tree will break down. <laughs> it's the outdoor living hour with Farmer Greg. In our urban orchard conversation with Farmer Greg, we're going to continue through our talking points here. We always have more to talk about than we can ever fit in in the broadcast, but, you know, that's why we do the broadcast regularly. Right, well, and I always thought it might be fun for me to just come in one day and take over the whole four hours. Whole four hours? I could do that. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll have to find a, a fifth Saturday, uh, you know, one of those random months we get five Saturdays instead of four where it's not programmed out. And there you go. Ha- have a urban... Urban Farm Festival. There you go. Let's do it. Perfect. You know, oh, oh festival. We could tie it in with a farmer's market somewhere. Oh, mm-hmm. Uptown mm-hmm. Farmer's Market, Central and Bethany Home, one of the best ones in the state. All right. So we're going to talk next about how to kill your fruit trees. And I give a class called Three Ways to Kill Your Fruit Trees. And is this like at the end of their lifetime? Because they no. don't last as long as citrus. That's true. That's true. Uh, deciduous trees, the peaches, apples, apricots and plums, if you get 25 years out of them, you're doing good. But I'm talking about in the first year or two. Oh, this isn't like harvesting the apple wood Mm-mm. for the smokehouses no, around is town. About, that, okay. This is about properly planting your tree in the first place. It's really important to address this. And there's um, three main things that people do to kill their fruit trees. And I have solutions for them all. And it's not intentional. This it's is not accidental. intentional. People just don't know any better. They just don't know. And again, I'm an educator. So the first way to kill your fruit tree is plant it in gravel or dirt or a very hot microclimate. And when I say hot microclimate, I'm talking about western exposure. So western exposure gets sun from noon until sundown, the hottest place in your yard. Uh, gravel. If you plant your any really any plant in a gravel yard with no shade, good luck. Uh, concrete, block walls, sidewalks, driveways. We have are, a lot of all of those. <laughs> we have a lot of all of those, and all of those contribute to the death of your trees. And, you know, I invite people to send me pictures of their fruit trees, and I see it all the time. You know, why did my fruit tree die? Well, you planted it wrong, or you planted it in the wrong place, or... Here's here's one that might surprise you. More often than not, people kill their trees by overwatering them. I live on a flood irrigated property near 16th Street and Bethany Home, and I moved in there 30 years ago. The fruit trees that are there, there are two citrus trees that were planted in the 1920s, and the rest of the 70 or so fruit trees on my property I've planted over the past 30 years while living there. Watering system that they're on is my flood irrigation. And this freaks people out when I tell them this. You water trees once a month in the winter and twice a month in the summer. But don't they need more than that? No, they don't. Because here's the thing an overwatered tree looks wilty, an underwatered tree <laughs> looks wilty. You can't tell the difference. Here's what I know without a shadow of a doubt. In the wintertime, if you're watering your trees, any of them, once a month, they will thrive. I promise. And if you're watering, you come, say, let's say you come this weekend and you get some fruit trees from us. We'll be open until 3 o'clock today at our nursery at 4549 North 7th Street. You come and get trees from me. You plant them. You give them a good deep water. 
And then in a month, you give them a good deep water. And then in a month, you give them a good deep water. And then in April, it starts getting hot. So you start watering them twice a month. If June rolls around, it's June 10th, and your tree's looking a little wilty, then you know you haven't overwatered it. Then you give it a little bit of water. Plus, we really encourage people to get moisture meters uh, to, you know, just to manage that piece as well. But, um, and I, sometimes I have conversations with people and it's like, no, we have to water them more than that. Especially when they're new. They need to be watered every day or every <laughs> other day or once a week. And, you know, I had some people come in last year and they bought a loquat from me. That's a tropical fruit. And, you know, these aren't inexpensive trees. This was a $150 tree and they took it home and planted it. They didn't follow my directions, whether they didn't know about them or they weren't interested. They watered the tree every day. And they came in again this year and they said, well, our tree died. And my first question is always, well, how much did you water it? They said, well, we watered every day. Ooh. Yeah. So um, watering is something you have to get down. And in our fruit tree membership portal online, we have a whole document on watering. Um, so I have something called my six, six rule. So remember last segment, we talked about keeping trees small. That's a guideline. Then there's the six, six rule. This is absolutely, you must do this. And that's, you put a six foot diameter basin around the tree with six inches of woody mulch. And you want to refresh that woody mulch two or three or four times a year so that you're getting a nice amount of soil building underneath that woody mulch because that interface between the dirt and the woody mulch very quickly becomes really healthy soil. And if you're continually adding woody mulch on top, it's going to continue to build soil and your trees are going to thrive, I promise. And that mulch doesn't go up against the trunk though. Exactly. So what I... In- what you see I, that I'll, often when they put mulch yep. on, you think, hey, get it all the way to the no, trunk. No, 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 no. What I suggest people do, what I instruct people do, another rule, is you plant the tree on a mound in the center. So it's up three or four inches. So then the woody mulch sits up against the dirt around the base of the tree, not the trunk of the tree. Really important. And then that lets you add that mulch on a regular basis exactly. because it's a little, uh, a little high. And a tree that's planted too deep oh, is a lot worse than a tree that's planted too, too high. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, you can uh, kill a tree very quickly by planting it too deep. All right, we'll continue more after this. We can do a lot of things here at Rosie on the House, but we can't stop the clock. A little bottom of the hour news break, and we'll be back with Farmer Greg. Just country boys and girls getting down on the farm. If you're just joining us here at Rosie on the House, we have Farmer Greg in the studio this Saturday morning, and we were in the middle of three ways to kill your fruit tree. Did we get all three? Good question. <laughs> so planting it in a really hot microclimate, overwatering it. Overwatering. Um, and usually uh, planting in a lawn is will pretty much take it out as well. Um, and the big reason on planting in the lawn is, number one, Bermuda grass in your lawn can outcompete your tree. And number two, lawns get sprinklered, what, two or three times a week? Wrong kind of watering. So the fix for a lawn is the same for a fix for gravel. And that's your six six inches of woody mulch, six-foot diameter basin. And what I tell people that are planting in a lawn, if you cut out a disc six inches deep by six-foot diameter, plant your fruit tree on a mound in the middle 
fill it with woody mulch, your job, because another way people kill their trees all the time is weed whack them to death. <laughs> right? Yeah. We've all done it. I've done it too. Got to be real careful. But what that basin does is then it becomes your job for the first year to weed whack along the edge of the, of the basin, not near the tree. Then the tree gets established. Once the tree's established uh, and the woody mulch is in place, because the woody mulch creates a buffer so that your sprinkler water doesn't get down to the roots. Once the tree's established, you can let the, grow, the grass grow right back and you're golden. Overwatering. Planting in grass, planting in a really hot microclimate are the three big ways that I see people killing their trees. On grass, I have one patch that in our orchard, it's where our lime tree is, mm-hmm. and completely surrounded by grass. Didn't plant it, just, you know, bird drop, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is But it, it came after the tree was planted. Is yeah. it okay? You know, Because I don't use any chemicals in our orchard. Right. If, if I... Um, our weed control right now is just whatever whatever I can get to with the bush hog on the tractor. Mm. <laughs> or a horse. <laughs> well, they eat the trees, oh, especially the apples. Go. And I, I've got mm. them all in rows, and I don't have a way to separate the apples from the citrus. I'd, I'd have to build individual pins around the tree. Yeah, got it. So, yeah, once the tree's established, then the, the Bermuda grass is no problem. Okay. So let's talk about planting that tree because that's another way that people – miss when it comes to a tree. And what I've discovered, I've been planting fruit trees since the 1970s here in Phoenix, and I've been seriously planting fruit trees um, since uh, 1989 when I moved into the urban farm. And what I've discovered in the past five or 10 years is that there is a very specific methodology for success. And as I mentioned earlier, if you're going to spend $50 on a tree, you're going to spend $50 on supplements to make sure that that tree thrives. Um, And so we'll get to that in a minute. But there was one thing that's happened just in the past couple of months where I see this. Does it it look a little bruised right here on my forehead? (laughs) I've seen a couple of articles where people are planting their trees in square holes rather than round holes. Have you seen those? No. Yeah. It's just come come up on the radar. It's harder to... Like an auger? Dig a square than a circle. (laughs) It is a little bit. It is a little bit. For for the long-term success of your tree, this is an absolutely brilliant idea. What happens is if somebody goes in with an auger, they dig a hole, Mm -hmm. it glazes the side of the hole, and then you plant the tree in that hole. Harder soil for the roots to grow into. Exactly. So what can happen is the roots of the trees can't get out of that glazed side, and that tree becomes root-bound in that hole. And I've seen it over and over and over again. You get trees that are dwarfed, um, that shouldn't be dwarfed. You get trees that you actually can shake the tree in the hole after it's been there for three or four years, um, and the soil moves underneath it. So by digging a square hole... If those roots start going along the side of the hole, they get to the corner and they're no, they don't turn 90 degrees. They keep going straight. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So, so if you did auger it, you'd come back later with, with a, a sharpshooter or something yep, exactly. to break in those those edges. Okay. Yeah. And you always, when you dig your hole, you always want to put divots in this, you know, 30 or 40 divots in the side anyways to help prevent that. If I just wanted to look different and unique, could I do an octagon? 
Absolutely. Oct- if you want to go for it, <laughs> an octagon, a pentagon, a, you name it, just not round. Just not round. Exactly. Okay. Great. So as you're digging that hole, so you have your basin, you have your six foot diameter basin that's six inches deep. And in the middle, you have your 12 to 18 inch wide hole. And I usually say go about a foot deep, maybe a foot and a half deep, depending on the size of the root system of your tree. And you take 40% of that native soil that came out of the hole and you put it in a wheelbarrow. And then you take a a bag of or bag and a half of planting mix. And there's many different kinds. We sell um, Farmer Greg's planting mix at the nursery. You can buy it there. Um, But you need to get organic matter in the wheelbarrow with the native soil. So we do 60% planting mix and 40% native soil. You mix that all up. And then on top of that, we have what we call a fruit tree planting kit. And what's included in the kit is mycorrhiza, azomite, and worm castings. And I tell people all the time, there's five components of healthy soil. Dirt is one of them. And all if, you ha- if all you have is dirt, good luck growing anything. But that's dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. The nice thing is, is that when we add organic matter, the, it creates the airspace that the water can get into and the life shows up. The fix for bad dirt is add organic matter. And that gives you good soil. And that gives you that works us into good soil. Exactly. So in the wheelbarrow, 40% native soil, 60% some kind of planting mix, an ounce of mycorrhiza. Mycorrhiza is microbial life that attaches to the roots. It makes the tree stronger. It makes the plant stronger. Um, so we have that in our planting kit. A pound of azomite. Azomite is like a vitamin pill. For your trees, there's 70 different micronutrients in azomite that just really, it vitamin pills your tree and then worm castings. And in the, in the gardening business, we call worm casting, castings gardener's gold. There's life in it. There's nutrients in it. Basically, worm castings is worm poop. <laughs> and, um, you know, we have our buddy out on, uh, in South Phoenix at Arizona Worm Farm, Zach. Um, who has all kinds of worm castings. That's where we get our worm castings from. So you mix all of that in the wheelbarrow. You put a bunch of it in the bottom of the hole before your tree goes in. You plant your tree, again, about four inches above grade on a mound. And then you take the rest of that soil from the wheelbarrow and just put it around the tree and water it in really good. It's your first watering. Water it in really good. Um, and then put your woody mulch basin around it, and you're done. And that's re- when you say water really well, that's where your soil probes, yep. moisture meters really yes, come in. It's exactly. amazing how well moisture gets locked underneath the surface of, of our soil. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean it evaporates away? Well, like on the top it will, and you would think it's really hard. Mm-hmm. But down underneath, mm-hmm. I mean, it stays moist down there for, for a, a long, long time. time. Yeah. So two more things that I want to kind of touch on. I, I forgot to mention up front, when you first dig your hole, you want to stick a hose in it and run it about half, three quarters full of water. See how long it takes for the water to drain out. It should take 30 minutes to four hours for it to drain out. If you have a hole, and we call this doing a perk 
or percolation test. If you have a hole that still has water in it 24 hours later, you got to dig deeper. And in our membership side, I have a whole big um, document on how to address that. Then the last thing you want to do, so you got your tree planted, you got the amendments in the soil, you got the woody mulch around the basin. I discovered this a couple of years ago, standing in my front yard, you know, those uh, temperature guns you can point Mm -hmm. at the ground and it gives you the temperature. Um, I had one of those. It was August, middle of August in my front yard. And I pointed it at the ground. It was 140 degrees at ground level. It was 120 degrees, six inches down. That is enough to kill your trees. Even under the woody mulch, the woody mulch gives us a nice insulation, but it still gets hot under there. Underneath the sweet potatoes growing under, uh, you know, growing in my front yard, it was 89 degrees. So we actually give away something called a cow pea. It's a nitrogen fixing desert loving bean that, you know, crawls along the ground that we suggest that you either plant cow peas or sweet potatoes in your woody mulch basin so that they'll grow out during the summer and they'll shade the ground. I bet that helps with weed control, too. It absolutely helps with weed control, miraculously helps with weed control. It's really cool. Cow bean? Cow peas. Cow peas. Yeah, if you just come down to the nursery and see me, I'll give you a packet of them because I grow them out by the three or four pounds a year and put them in a little packet. and, And sweet potatoes. And sweet potatoes. Here's the deal about sweet potatoes. Something really important to know. Um, First of all, you just get your sweet potatoes at the grocery store, but they have to be organic. Regular potatoes and sweet potatoes are sprayed with a chemical so that they won't bud out. So have you ever had a- It's a preservative. So if you buy a sack of potatoes and a month later you go to buy it and it doesn't have all the knots all over it. (laughs) Exactly. Here's the thing though. Do you want to be eating that in the first place? That's my real question. Um, but you want to buy the organic version and then let's sit on, let it sit on the counter for, for a month or so. And once it starts budding out, dig a little hole, put a little planting mix in your basin and stick it in the basin and you will have sweet potatoes forever. Now. And shade on your trees. Do I have roots. to water them separate or will they go on tree water schedule? That is the key piece there. Thanks for asking me that. Um, they, the cow peas and the sweet potatoes are on the tree watering system. You can't put regular groceries like watermelons or broccoli or stuff like that underneath your trees because they re- require water more often than once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer. But your cow peas and your sweet potatoes will go on that water schedule. They grow perfectly like that. Nice. Now, when you if you do harvest the sweet potatoes, mm-hmm. I'm assuming... Oh, yeah. So do you I bet. ever have to be careful about trying to dig up a sweet potato and injuring my tree roots? Great question. The sweet potatoes are so prolific and they kind of grow everywhere. I don't dig them out near the trees. I just let the trees do what they do. Ah. You know, I'll come three or four feet away from the tree and harvest plenty of them. And the ones that are under just let nature do its thing. Exactly. Because once you plant them year after year after year, they just come back. Over and over and over. It's really quite cool. And will cow peas do that as well or just the sweet potatoes continue to come back? The cow peas will also come back. But whereas the sweet potatoes are perennial, they live in the ground, Mm -hmm. the cow peas go to seed. And I guarantee you, you can't harvest all the cow peas. In fact, I planted cow peas for the first time probably a decade ago at my house. And I don't ever plant them anymore. 
They just show up in the yard, show up in the basins, grow when they grow. I harvest the seeds. They die back. They're nitrogen fixers. The cowpeas are nitrogen fixers, which means they're pulling nitrogen from the soil and nitrogen from the air. So when they die back, I just put them in the basin with uh, woody mulch. Hmm. Very cool. Cow yeah. peas and sweet potatoes. I'm thinking of a combo of these around each tree mm-hmm. in the orchard. Yeah. And that's that's been the biggest thing is how do I control the weeds? Because that, that cheese weed is a pain in the oh, neck. Yeah. All right. We got one final segment here in the Outdoor Living Hour with Farmer Greg at Rosie on the house. I'm farming and I grow it. I'm farming and I grow it. Down to our final segment, talking urban orcharding. And Farmer Greg, we talked about three ways to kill your trees. Then we talked about how to plant them properly. And now we've got three keys for success. Yes. Remember I said earlier that you can go into most nurseries in every big box store and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit? You have to be responsible for making sure that you know which tree is going to do well here. So there's three things you need to know. Do you think I think in threes sometimes? <laughs> there's three things you need to know. First of all, there's chill hours. I was at Humbo uh, recently, and they had a peach tree that required 600 hours of chill. We get about 350 hours of chill in the Phoenix metropolitan area in the low desert. That wouldn't even grow in Tucson. You'd have to get that almost up to... We're talking northern Arizona. Like Prescott. Yeah, exactly. Dewey might not even have enough. <laughs> The thing is, it was in a Phoenix store, right? And, you know, I've approached the stores before and it's... And Since everyone from Dewey comes to Phoenix to buy their fruit trees. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And people just don't know. In fact, I was in, a, in another big box store um, a couple of years ago. And, you know, there's about, I don't know, probably 500 different varieties of peaches. In this store, the tag on the tree said peach. That's all it said. <laughs> So you have oh. to, you really have to educate yourself. Number one thing is, is chill hours. We get about 350 hours in the low desert. A chill hour is anything under 39 degrees. Is that what you're going to ask me? No. I, we've always positioned it every time we've talked about this. You've got to have, get something with the right chill hours. Right. What about in reverse? Let's take that something like an Anna apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? Like 250 chill hours? Yeah. And put it in 900 hours of chill? Yeah. Could you plant that in Flagstaff and be successful? Probably not. Here's why. The low chill trees bud out earlier. It would be too cold still. It would be too cold because the low chill trees are going to be getting buds on them in February, March. And we're still getting... You could still be getting snow. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you have to make sure that the amount of chill hours that you get match the tree that you're getting. Got That's it. number one important. And then you're going to what a chill hour is. Oh, what a chill hour is. That's basically anything under about 39 degrees. And That's all you really need to know. Uh, buy a low chill tree uh, for the low desert. You know, if you're in Dewey or Prescott or Flagstaff, you have to figure out how many chill hours you get up there. Um, but for the low desert, under 350 hours in chill is what is what we get. So that's number one. Number two and one more thing on that, on anything under 39 degrees. Yes. Do, don't you have to have a couple consecutive hours of under 39 for it to really count? Like if I got one 39 chill hour this week, you really didn't get it? Yeah, I think it's four hours in a row uh, yeah. technically, but it's 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 more of an art than it is a science. 
Uh, just know that if you plant a 600-hour peach tree or apple tree <laughs> in the low desert, you're never going to get fruit. How do I know this? I've done it before. We've never had 600 chill hours in, right, the, in exactly. the low desert okay, in a cool. season. <laughs> Number two thing that's really important, what rootstock are the trees on? Most fruit trees are grafted. That means that they take a rootstock or roots of a tree that do really well in the desert and they put a desert gold peach on it. So they'll use a Nemagard rootstock with a desert gold peach on top of it. Nemagard loves the desert and desert gold peach is my favorite peach here. If you get the wrong rootstock, the tree won't make it. I know, I've done it. <laughs> you were gonna ask. So on when you're looking at your grafted ones, and we had talked at the beginning of the hour about keeping them small, mm -hmm. they graft dwarf fruit trees. Do you yes. like those, or do you? Great question. They graft onto dwarf rootstock, and with the exception of one peach, the bonanza peach, none of the other rootstocks that are dwarfing do very well here. So what we do is we go with semi-dwarfing on the apples or standard rootstock on the stone fruits, and then we prune them from there. Okay. So don't, don't think a dwarf tree is going to do well in the desert. It likely won't. And that, that goes to rootstocks again. Okay. All right. So chill hours, rootstock. And most nurseries should know this to be able to explain it to you. Here's the really interesting piece they put a fruiting stock tag and a root stock mm -hmm. tag on the tree if you don't have both of those and know what both of those are don't buy the tree don't buy the tree because the roots the the root stock will tell you tag will tell you what it is you can always look it up on your smartphone the fruiting tag will tell you chill hours what you know what it tastes like when it ripens and that's the third piece that's really really important as we're wrapping up the hour here the third piece that's really important is what i mentioned earlier and that's that the fruit needs to ripen before about july 10th otherwise it just cooks on the tree <laughs> so i'm going to be at the nursery today until 3 o'clock. We're at 4549 North 7th Street. That is just south of Camelback on 7th Street. Um, it's a white warehouse. We got signs on the side of it. You can come down and chat with me. I'd love to see you. Now, last quick question. Yeah. We didn't get to what not to grow, but I just want to ask real quick. You had nuts on there. Nuts. Most of the nuts just don't do well here. The trees that we bring in, they're designed to produce a lot of produce. The ones that, that most of the nuts don't do that. Now, I've seen a lot of pecans. Pecans are rock stars. We just can't get them because of the taproot. That's a challenge of itself. All right, Farmer Greg, it is urbanfarm.org. If you've got any further questions, today, 7th Street and just south of Camelback, 4549 North 7th Street. Beautiful.